0: Science fiction has taught us to be skeptical if aliens claim, we come in peace, but what if they actually meant it? Quite a few tales in science fiction and theories among UFO watchers involve rather sinister aliens or those that appear nice but are not as benevolent as they seem, but occasionally we do get examples where those aliens really are nice and enlightened folks. I suspect their relative rarity tends to come from them being a bit boring from a story-writing perspective no conflict or conspiracy, no fun. I thought we would ask ourselves what a benevolent group of aliens would be like, what they probably would not be like, and what we might be like to other civilizations if we got to be nicer people and encountered some fledgling alien civilization ourselves. We must start though by acknowledging the obvious, benevolent is a bit of a subjective term, to say the least. As we discussed in the Fermi Paradox Zoo Hypothesis, An alien race might think they were doing us a favor by keeping us tucked away from interference by others and ignorant of their own existence. Indeed, as we noted there, a post biological race might flat out kill us for our own good, simply because they thought we'd be a lot safer if they came in, scanned our brains, turned us off in real life, and rebooted us in some nice safe simulated reality somewhere in time. That would be an example of where a civilization with high minded intent literally committed genocide from a certain point of view, and it's not the only one. You might see some fledgling species as so innately dangerous to the wider galaxy that you felt obliged to wipe them out, though you might instead alter them so they were not a potential threat, like making them less aggressive, and depending on how they did that, and again from a certain point of view, it might be effectively wiping out a civilization. Many would view the wholesale alteration of a person, so they acted very differently, against their will or without their informed consent, to be a type of death and maybe a fate worse than death. But much like brainwashing people versus raising children, the line can be rather murky. However, this is a pretty common thread in science fiction with more enlightened aliens. They either try to help us achieve enlightenment or refuse to help us or have any dealings with us until we evolve to be a bit more enlightened, or grow to be more enlightened anyway, as science fiction writers have a bad habit of using the word evolve to describe non-natural developments, when an ancient and powerful race or entity showing up to change and improve your species would be more appropriately called intelligent design. Personally, I don't subscribe to the non-interference policy advocated in Star Trek and its Prime Directive, with the motivation that it is for the civilization's own good, and we examined the problems with that back in Smug Aliens, but there's a lot to be said about non-interference simply from the standpoint of not wanting to get dragged into someone else's problems. Benevolent though is pretty much by definition someone who does get into other people's problems, in order to help, whereas not getting involved at all is more of a distant well-wisher. These are the civilizations we are focusing on today, the ones that actively help. This does not mean they help with everything or that they do it openly, nor does it mean they have no self-interest in doing so, just that their main goal in dealing with us is to help us and by action rather than inaction. As we often say in regard to aliens and the Fermi Paradox, it's the motivation that's key to figuring out how they would operate and how we might detect them. So if aliens are somehow helping us, we can assume they did not think the best course of action for dealing with modern humanity was to openly land and start teaching, since they clearly are not, though we might do that if we encounter some aliens when we get out there. There is a caveat though, a given benevolent agency might not act openly not because they are worried about it messing with our civilization but for fear of action by another agency, as an example, if you have some restrictive interstellar empire out there that doesn't tolerate interference in civilizations like our own, for whatever reason, other groups inside or outside that empire might covertly sneak in and help. There is also the matter of why and how they're helping us. A common theme in science fiction is aliens showing up to basically lecture us on our evil ways. Back in early sci-fi this was generally on how militaristic we were, or how we nuke ourselves into the dust. These days it's often on environmental and ecological disasters, a good example of which is the original and more recent remake of The Day the Earth Stood Still. The former made a bit of sense, if folks are aggressive and destructive, and you are not, showing up to talk to them about being nicer people fits as a way of engaging in your goal inside your own ethical constraints. The alternative might be an enforced piece, which they might be fine with doing too, but it takes a lot of effort to enforce peace and can border on being a police state, so even if they are ethically okay with that, they would presumably try the diplomatic and instructive approach first. Either way, this motivation, making us peaceful, makes some sense and again is common in sci-fi. It also fits for waiting if you don't really want to actively intervene till forced, so you don't need to step in until the civilization has developed an ability to destroy itself or maybe others on other worlds thus partially avoiding the usual force contact issue of why now and not a thousand years ago. However, more modern versions, like the reboot of The Day the Earth Stood Still, suggest they are motivated by wanting to save us from our environmentally destructive ways, and that does not make sense in any format requiring force or lecture. It is very unlikely that any civilization is actively trying to wreck their planet. And presumably your civilization has figured out various technologies and methods that permit ecologically sound industry and production, particularly as these are essentially prerequisites to actually engaging in interstellar travel, see our Generation Ships series for a discussion of that. But fundamentally you need a pretty impressive power supply to move spaceships around, and that pretty much eliminates all the environmental concerns of power production, and also issues like clean fresh water supplies, agricultural land and deforestation, Mining and recycling, and some others too. Now, you might need to encourage them to certain behaviors so they will continue to pick ecologically sound options, even while it was not always the most economical path, but that's a lot easier to do when you just eliminated a vast amount of their existing problems and gave them a massive economic boost while you were at it. Sort of like meeting a primitive civilization and introducing them to antibiotics and vaccines, you still encourage them to the habit of washing their hands and other hygienic preventative measures. But they'll be listening a lot more attentively when you just swept in and saved millions from the threat of this or that pandemic, even if you are being a bit condescending and smug about your explanations. The basic notion is that you don't teach people how to behave better if that bad behavior stems from a problem you can simply eliminate, or at least massively limit, and folks are more receptive to your reasoning if you just gave them a hand. If you've got the technology to fix a problem, or at least to change the specifics and expiration date, you are best off giving them that technology. The exception being if the tech causes a new problem, like a better weapon, but while an assault rifle can kill people more effectively than a bow and arrow, either one gets the job done, and which you're both using doesn't really matter if both parties are intentionally trying to kill each other and won't stop till the job is done. A far smaller percentage of people die nowadays in war than used to, even though we have better weapons. The why is debatable and there's probably not a single cause, But simply having better weapons doesn't mean more destruction, and that is something any species that is flying around interstellar space and talking about living peacefully is going to know and believe, else they wouldn't exist. So a benevolent species aiming to change our attitude on something isn't likely to be averse to giving us technological aid, at least for the reason of self-destruction. That might not be universal though, it would apply to modern humans it would seem but maybe not prior human civilizations and maybe not some species that was hyper-aggressive. Now we can come up with some special exceptions, but we have to keep two things in mind. First, while they might be averse to giving folks technology, it is pretty unlikely that would be a universal view among all civilizations, or even all the members of such a civilization. Second, they're going to know that and know that technology is likely to seep out anyway, and that's likely to impact their decision-making process. If you know other civilizations hand out technology, or that members of your civilization will covertly give it out from good intent, or sell it, or even just that it will accidentally get exchanged, what's the point of putting the effort into concealing it if it is doomed to fail, when alternatively you can control its release to minimize negative impact? Keep in mind, scientific and technological progress don't happen like portrayed in Hollywood, a lot of invention is just about it occurring to someone that a device should or could be made to do something. It's a lot easier to get there if you see a device doing its job and how that's handy, or course engineered it from folks seeing it in action a lot and knowing some of the new principles involved. I couldn't have invented a refrigerator, nor could anyone living in a Bronze Age culture, but even having never made much of a study of it, ignoring the language gap, I could easily sit down with some bronze or copper smiths of that era And show them how to make one, especially an Einstein refrigerator which has no moving parts and runs on fire. I know what it does, I know that it works, I know the basic principle, that's all it takes with a little time and tinkering. That sort of approach could lead to cargo cults, folks with no understanding of the principles who simply mimic what they see, but cargo cults appeared when a civilization was busy doing something near another civilization, not with them like airdrops of supplies to remote islands in World War II. That isn't likely to apply to interstellar visitors, as you don't really bump into a planet, and regardless, it assumes the civilization is contacting the other civilization with help in mind and actively involving themselves, not some big war going on. One could imagine two interstellar empires having a shooting war in a solar system with a primitive civilization observing it, but that is a different situation and scenario than today's topic. Of course, speaking of religions and keeping in mind technology isn't the only way to help, there is a good chance you'd see a lot of folks worshipping aliens who come bearing gifts, and indeed that is a common notion in sci-fi too. It's got two problems though. First, if we're assuming they are benevolent then they aren't likely to be propping themselves up as false gods, with an exception we'll get to in a moment. Second, such a civilization either has its own religion, or religions, or does not. If not, they presumably aren't encouraging folks to worship them if their goal is to enlighten us, as they presumably view that as counterproductive. If the former, that they are religious, then it's very unlikely they're trying to impersonate deities, instead they'd either be trying to convert us for what they considered our own good, and that would probably be their top priority, essentially a missionary civilization, or they would not if they thought that was wrong ethically. However, they might be pragmatists, especially if they're a small group dealing with an early civilization and one that doesn't want to disrupt too much and poses existing benevolent gods or simply as enlightened teachers who later were deified by history. That's a popular one in science fiction too, suggesting this or that historic scientist or teacher or religious figure was an alien, and not a bad one either from a strictly logical perspective. If you're posing as a human, odds are good you'd be giving off a lot of telltales of abnormality in your behavior, The Eccentric Scientist is a pretty good cover story for that, and that applies to big thinkers in general. It's not a terribly accurate stereotype incidentally, but eccentric behavior is hardly uncommon in such folks and accurate or not, it's not unexpected, which is what matters. This one fits pretty good too, because they are probably going to want to do more than just give us technology. I mean if I were going back in time to help farmers or smiths learn how to rotate crops or make cheap steel, I really doubt I'd be able to avoid making commentary on some things I thought they might find good, like abolishing slavery and instituting some human rights in due process, particularly as I wouldn't have any more qualms about that. That obviously gets into murky territory but as I said, once you get into the benevolent intervention game, that murk is unavoidable, you're just trying to be mindful of the pitfalls and abuses that can accompany such behavior or not, a given civilization might be heavy-handed with their intervention because they subscribe to the for-your-own-good school of thought in a major way. That would depend a lot on the culture in question, both the folks giving the help and the ones getting it. As an example, we have a notion called Uplifting, which is enhancing a species either technologically, physiologically, or neurologically, or two or all three. See that episode for discussion of the specifics. But if I find a race of pretty intelligent critters, like dolphins, chimps, or elephants, I might give them a little genetic tweak to mind or body to make technological development easier. I am obviously not asking them since they'd have no clue what I meant, so it's not exactly voluntary. That's another way they might help us too, improving us, in their eyes at least, physically or mentally. Now if they're showing up overtly and giving us technology, they might simply offer this as an option, mind or body alterations, but this path of help applies more to the covert approaches, and it can be very minimalist. As an example, if I encounter a fairly aggressive species, I might need only do something very tiny, like tweak genes for their gland that produces their hormone for aggression to produce 1% less or tweak the rate of growth of their equivalent of the prefrontal cortex for making judgments to develop just a little faster or larger. Not even something outside their current bell curve distribution, just something like the equivalent of tweaking average height by 1 centimeter or IQ from 100 to 101. Civilizations are statistical in a lot of ways, and that can show up a lot in your outliers, If you find out half your mortal's and fights are involving the 1% that have the highest amount of some given hormone or trait, moving that little average and distribution over just a little bit could drop that number in the outlier down to a fraction of what it was. If you find that 99% of your discoveries are coming from folks occupying the top 1% of your IQ distribution, moving that over a couple points might massively increase how many were of the same intelligence as that 1% more. Or they might give us just a few little tweaks so we lived a bit longer, or had better immune systems. This is obviously morally gray, too, but would seem to occupy lighter shades of gray than, say, culling folks with a given trait, or outright engaging in major physiological or neurological enhancement. That might happen, too. You might get some species that thought it was perfectly fine to show up and infect everyone with an engineered virus or nanobots that turned us into some sort of alien human hybrid. That alien hybrid notion is popular in sci-fi too, and the genetic alteration approach is a lot more plausible than interbreeding I imagine. The whole half-human, half-alien thing is pretty dubious, from any sort of biological standpoint, especially when it's an alien and human getting married and having kids like Spock from Star Trek. When it's just the classic sci-fi alien, who for limitations of makeup or CGI basically just has a few minor cosmetic changes of appearance and behavior from humans, it seems plausible, but you're way more likely to be encountering something that resembles you about as closely as a squid does and differs from you genetically by more than a tree does. I can't really imagine us finding lots of folks who wanted to go marry and breed with a tentacular whore, and I'd imagine they'd feel the same way about us. Although if the internet has taught me anything, it's that someone, somewhere, probably would think that was fun, and to each his whore or its own I suppose. It's also entirely probable some advanced alien species isn't exactly a species, it might be some federation of many alien races, or it might be that they've just diverged a lot internally, as we discussed recently in the episode Genetic Divergence and Civilization. Given several thousand years and access to a lot of high-end genetic or cybernetic technologies, they might easily have a widely varying number of limbs and eyeballs even from folks who were distant cousins, or even not so distant ones. There's also the psychological differences too, both those hardwired into us biologically and those that are cultural. A lot of our ethics follow from logical reasoning but often derive from paths influenced by arguably arbitrary cultural events that impacted us strongly. For instance, we worry about the dangers of colonialism, but that's from effective isolation of cultures, leaving very large technology gaps in cultural differences, some planet that was a single big continent with easily navigated coasts and rivers, or more wanderlust prone inhabitants, which ought not be a strange trait for evolution to produce, might never have that particular issue crop up and not come away with the same perspective or the dangers we associate with that. If your civilization was one where young folks routinely went on long journeys to find a new home or a mate and was expected to carry news and innovations along with them, you probably have a culture that is predisposed to just wander in and say hi and start airing their ideas and views rather casually. Everybody is an anthropologist in their youth and none of their anthropologists ever developed a non-interference restriction. That is a pretty minor difference, and so too. A civilization that developed on a ward where a lot of the plants had developed major narcotic properties, where one made folks more docile and suggestible, might have very early on gotten in the habit of dosing people with that, whenever they misbehaved even as kids. They are equivalent of spanking or telling a kid to go stand in the corner, or hitting a troublemaker with community service for misdemeanours. They are likely to have a very different view on brainwashing than we do and be surprised if anyone objected if they mass brainwashed us all to be less troublesome in their eyes. And again, benevolent is pretty subjective. If you encounter a society that is pretty Darwinian in some regards, they might think it a genuine kindness to regularly attack primitive civilizations with just enough force to damage them to toughen them up, and do it periodically. Indeed that's the implied reasoning of the aliens known as the Shadows in the Babylon 5 TV series from the 1990s. We take that attitude to a degree too, that hardship and challenge bring growth and strength, and we would assume Darwinian concepts were known to almost every advanced civilization, so some might take it a bit more extreme than us. Same, if they're a lot more interconnected than us, not even going into hive minds or the assimilationist Borg of Star Trek, they might think wiring us all up so we could hear or feel each other's thoughts or moods was a great kindness. We see something similar in Alistair Reynolds' Revelation Space series in terms of the conjoiners, a partial hive mind who, while later switching to voluntary membership, start off as grabbing people for involuntary membership. It brings to mind the old saying, with friends like these, who needs enemies? Personally I think it more likely than not that aliens we meet one day would be more prone to benevolence than exploitation or conquest or extermination, but we might find their gifts a bit less than desirable and if we end up in their shoes instead, helping out some civilization we encounter, we might want to keep that in mind. A theme for today was that while aliens are often thought to be reluctant to share their knowledge and skills, that doesn't really make sense, and certainly our own modern civilization doesn't tend to feel that way i tend to suspect a society based heavily around advancing knowledge and technology would tend to also be one that would lean toward wanting to share at least the basic and intermediate skills of any craft with everyone else. Of course a willingness to share skills isn't the same as doing it well, and while a great blessing of modern times is that everything is out on the internet, it's often not collected and presented in an ideal form for folks to find and learn. That's where Skillshare comes in. Skillshare is an online learning community for creatives where millions come together to take the next step in their creative journey, and members get unlimited access to thousands of inspiring classes, with hands-on projects and feedback from a community of millions. Skillshare offers thousands of classes to improve professional and creative skills, but also a lot of simply handy life skills, like Michael Phillips' class on how to brew an amazing cup of coffee. I suspect I'm not alone in being a big fan of coffee and he does a great job not just in explaining the method of brewing, but a lot of background and knowledge involved. If you're a lifelong learner interested in picking up some new skills, I'd recommend Skillshare. Whether you're a beginner, a pro, a dabbler, or a master, Skillshare has thousands of classes on a wide variety of topics from experts to help you learn. If you'd like to give it a try, the first 1,000 of my subscribers to click the link in the description will get a 2 month free trial of Premium Membership so you can explore your creativity. Act now and start learning today. So we were talking today about how a benevolent alien species might act if it came across a younger species, and it stands to reason if they found someone younger to help a visit, someone older probably found them and acted likewise. That can only go back so far though, until you get to that first civilization, and maybe that civilization is us. Maybe we are the firstborn civilization in the cosmos. In two weeks we'll explore that notion in The Fermi Paradox, Firstborn. Before then though, we'll be returning to Jupiter to look at the possibility of turning it into a second Sun, a notion popularized by Arthur C. Clarke in his 2001 Space Odyssey series as something done by an ancient benevolent alien civilization. We'll look at why and how we might be able to do that or something equivalent next week in Summer on Jupiter. For alerts when those and other episodes come out, make sure to subscribe to the channel, and if you enjoyed this episode, hit the like button and share it with others. And if you'd like to support future episodes, visit our website, IsaacArthur.net, to see ways to help out or see our catalog of episodes, book recommendations, and SFIA merchandise. Until next time, thanks for watching, and have a great week.